You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. everybody. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Matthew chapter 12 as we continue in our practicing series that we have entitled Abundant Simplicity. And if you're new to our church and therefore to the idea of a practicing series, like what's that all about? Basically it's this, uh, two to three times a year, we pick an actual practice from the life and teaching of Jesus. Uh, we teach on it here and then we begin to practice and kind of work through it in our everyday lives, uh, also in the context of a missional community. And we've done a lot of these over the last, uh, I don't know, five years. Um, we've done practice series on forgiveness, how to forgive, fasting, prayer, spiritual warfare, uh, dealing with your past, uh, how to rest, how to eat. I mean, there are many series that we've done um, that are similar, but uh, this this uh, specific or this particular practicing series is on abundant simplicity. And the idea behind this series is that oftentimes our life is filled with a lot of clutter and excess. And what we're trying to do is kind of trim some of that down so that we can experience uh, what God talks about whenever he says that there is pleasure at my right hand, uh, that there is joy in his presence. And we're trying to make room for more joy, more pleasure that is found in God's presence. And so today... Um, as we continue the series, we'll be in Matthew chapter 12. And before I read that, uh, I want to start by asking you a question. Um, have you ever said something, have you ever said anything, only later to regret it? Or is that just me? Anybody else in here? Um, okay, there are several of you. There are many moments in my life that I could point to where I've said something only later to regret it. But uh, one moment specifically jumps out to me. I was 21 years old. I just started dating Megan, who is now my wife, and her dad wanted to get to know me. I needed to get to know her dad, and so we thought, what better thing to do than to get in a truck, drive to St. Louis, and watch the Cardinals play? And so typically when you're uh, on a road trip for you know three to four hours or however length of time, there's not a lot to do but talk to the person who's in the vehicle with you. Um, but my father-in-law is the exception to that rule because he's a man who wastes few words. We'll say it like that. Uh, he's kind of business as usual, Kevin Hawley, right? He's an administrator at a hospital. Um, and, you know, I, I'm trying to get conversation going with him, but, but I just can't. I told the first service, I said, if, you, if you've ever seen Meet the Parents, how many of you have seen Meet the Parents? Uh, you know Jack Burns? That's my father-in-law, Okay. And I'm a lot like Greg Falker. And so um, that takes a little bit of our di- dynamic. And I'm trying to get conversation going. I can't. And I remember I was a communication studies major in college. And I remember for one of my classes, they said that if you want to try to get conversation going, just talk to the person about something they're interested in. And so I didn't know a lot about my father-in-law. Uh, and But I thought, you know, I, I know that Kevin likes cattle. He had like six or seven cows or something like that. So I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, uh, talk to him about cows. I know nothing about cows, but I'm going to act like I know a little something about cows. And so um, here I am, 21 years old, and I decide to get into this conversation. I'm going to ask him what I felt like at the time was a very intelligent question. And I said, Kevin, I've always wondered, um, can you tell, like, like, what is the visible difference between a cow and a bull? 
And if you're laughing, it's because you know that a cow is a female and a bull is a male. I was like, is it the horns, Kevin? He was like, is that, is that how you can tell the difference? And he said, uh, she looked at me like I was an absolute idiot. Like this guy cannot marry my daughter. Um, and he said, no, uh, Jared, it's, it's not what's on their head. It's between their legs that actually gives it off. That's what gives it away. And as you can imagine, it was an embarrassing conversation. And to this moment, honestly, I think it has caused my father-in-law to question my manhood. Um, he, he can be grilling at his house. My, his, my brother-in-law, his son is in our uh, church. He was in our first service and he can vouch for this. Kevin, you know, we'll be at his house and he'll be grilling and I'll be like, Kevin, let me help you. And he's like, do you know how to do this? And I'm like, Kevin, like, is it about the bull? Like, it's seriously like, it's hamburgers and hot dogs. It's not that hard. Like, I'm a grown man. I'm 38, 17 years ago. So needless to say, uh, that is just, there are many times in my life where I've said things that I later regret. And I share that story because I'm guessing that you can at least somewhat relate to me in that there have been times in your own life where maybe you've said something that made you or someone else feel like a fool. Uh, or there are times you've said something and later you're like, oh, I wish I would not have said that. Times or maybe even because of your words, you have hurt yourself or you have hurt others. Dr. Francis Collins in, in his book, Language of God, writes about how human beings are a living language. And what he means by that is what separates us from animals is our capacity for speech. And he says, when you run that through the grid of original sin, it should come as no surprise that that at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows are our words. Just read the news and you'll discover that most of the drama and devastation that's happened in our world is tied to a careless word that someone spoke. If you think about your own life, think about your own broken relationships or the trauma or the wounds that you've experienced it often can be traced back to careless words. And though we like to follow those careless words of things like, oh, I was just joking, right? Or I didn't really even mean that. The truth is, oftentimes we actually did mean it. And that's where the problem comes in because believe it or not, that careless word we speak actually is symptomatic of a much deeper problem that's found inside of our hearts. And that's what Jesus gets at here in Matthew chapter 12. And just to set the context for you before we actually read this passage together, Jesus has just healed a man. Uh, a man came to Jesus, he was blind, he was mute, and Jesus cast the demon out of the guy, and now the blind man can see, the mute man can talk. And by the way, let that mess with you a little bit, that demons have that power to cause physical ailments. And Jesus is aware of that. So he casts the demon out, and now the guy can see, he can talk, and the crowd is amazed. I mean, they're looking and they're saying, surely this is the son of David. This is the Messiah who has come down David's line to now save us, to rescue us, to usher in his kingdom. But the religious leaders of the day, they were very jealous of Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. And so they're like, oh, well, actually, we can't deny clearly he has power, but this is not a divine power. It's a demonic power. Like, like, like he's casting, sure, he's casting out this demon, but he's not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's doing it in the power of the devil, which Jesus is like, guys, logically, that makes no sense. Like, why would the devil cast out demons? And so he addresses the Pharisees, but then he also knows this is a teaching moment for everybody else who's watching this, this story unfold. And so here's what he says in verse 33 through 37. Look with me. 
Jesus says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Jesus says, you're calling me a serpent? Like you guys are a bag full of serpents. How can you who are evil say anything good? And then I would underline this next line. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the, uh, the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word or every careless word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, or the word there can be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This is a very sobering word from Jesus. And it is a reminder to all of us today that our words matter. Because as Solomon put it in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, words have the power to bring life and they have the power to bring death. Or as it's uh, put in the King James uh, Bible, right? our words, they have the power to, to heal. They have the power to harm. According to Jesus, he goes on to say that these words that we speak, they come from the recess of our heart. Again, in verse 34, he says, for out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, whatever is in the depths of your heart will eventually make its way out of your mouth. And so one way to think about this is, you know, here I have a bottle of water. And if I flip this bottle of water over, what's going to come out of the mouth of the bottle? Water. Because that's what is inside of it. And what Jesus is saying, hey, look, this is the way it is with your words. Right? Like if this is your heart, whatever is inside of it is eventually going to come out of your mouth, whether for good or for evil, whether for life or for death. And because this is true, the question that I want us to try to wrestle with and answer this morning is, is there a practice from the way of Jesus that will help open us up to the Spirit's work in a way that will actually align our hearts and therefore our words with the heart and the words of Jesus? And the answer to that question is yes. And historically, it's what has been referred to as a simplicity of speech. That is the practice before us today. And simplicity of speech is, simply put, a practice where we learn how to do two things if you're taking notes. One, it's a practice that teaches us how to talk like Jesus. And then two, how to not talk like Jesus. I want to say a short word on each. And so first, how to talk like Jesus. Flip with me over to Mark chapter 12. Go to the right, Mark chapter 12. And we'll look in verse 13. I didn't say this earlier, but uh, the notes for today's sermon are on the YouVersion Bible app. By the way, if you have that app and those notes interest you, you can grab them there. Mark chapter 12, start in verse 13. It says, later they, it's talking about the chief priest and the teachers of the law, uh, they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his what? Words. Again, words matter. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity, that you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And then here's the question they're going to ask to try to catch Jesus in his words. Is it right... To pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it 
or shouldn't we? Now, this seems like a straightforward question, but whenever you really understand the context of it, you realize it's, it's a pretty impossible question because if Jesus says, no, we shouldn't pay the poll tax to Caesar, right? Or if he says, yes, we should pay it to Caesar, here's what's going to happen. The crowds are going to look, and if they hear him say, yeah, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, they're going to say, well, Jesus clearly is no Messiah. We thought he had come to save us from Caesar and from the Roman government, but when he says to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, clearly we can't trust that he's going to come and save us. But on the flip side, if he says that, no, you should not pay taxes to Caesar, well, then he's going to be viewed as an insurrectionist. Then, right, the Roman government is going to unleash their power upon him and possibly even kill Jesus. So this is like a lose lose top situation that Jesus is in. But look how he responds. Verse 15, Jesus, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him a coin and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And look at this, verse 17, Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Translation, because Caesar's image is on the coin, you give your coins to Caesar. But because God's image is on your life, you give your whole life to God. Isn't that a great response? And as a result, look at this, the very end of the line, verse 17, and they were amazed at him. Now, um, this is just one example of many where we see people are amazed by the words that Jesus spoke. But flip with me over to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, and I want you to see an example where people were amazed at how Jesus did not talk. Mark 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Now, this is leading up to where Jesus is arrested and crucified, which is actually what we remember on Palm Sunday, which is today, leading up to the moment where Jesus is crucified and eventually risen, which we'll celebrate next week. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? Don't you see how many things you're being accused of? But Jesus still made no reply. He was silent. And Pilate was amazed. And so in Mark 12, right, people are amazed by what Jesus said. And then in Mark 15, they're amazed by what he did not say. And why did Jesus not say anything in this moment? It was because he was fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, where he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And by the way, that's you and me. We say it often, the crossing church is filled of a bunch of imperfect people who are sent in need of one perfect person, and that person is Jesus Christ. We are all imperfect, guys. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We are all like sheep that have gone astray. But here's the good news. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity, the sins of us all. Verse 7, Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So, for sure, there were times where Jesus would speak up. There were times where he would make a remark, or he would give an answer, or he would ask a question. But then, as we see right here, there were times where he wouldn't say anything. Out of a deep trust in his Father, there were times where tempers were flaring, accusations were being made, even death threats, and Jesus wouldn't say a word. 
Robert Cardinal Sorrell in his commentary on this story in Mark 15 says this, Jesus is so imperturbable. I wonder if that can be said about you or me. So calm and so peaceful that one might think he does not hear the howling of the crowd, which is drunk with hatred. Explains a lot of our culture right now, doesn't it? Pilate does not understand the use of such an extraordinary silence. He is confronted with God's silence. In the midst of the howling of men who are drunk with irrational hatred, this event contains for us a doctrine and a teaching. In the school of Jesus, with our heart, understanding, and will wide open, let us allow God to introduce us into his silence and diligently learn how to love and live in the same silence. All that to say, to engage in the practice of simplicity is as much about learning how to not talk like Jesus as it is to talk like Jesus. And so with that in mind, before we end, I want to give you now four ways that we can begin to align our hearts and hopefully our words with the heart of Jesus himself. And the first thing I want you to see for taking notes this morning is this. If you want to talk like Jesus, for many of us, listen guys, that means we just need to talk less. Depending on what study you read, the average American speaks anywhere between 10 to 13,000 words a day. That is a lot of talking. And as much as we like to hear our own voice, for many of us, if we want to become more like Jesus, we need to talk less. And as I see it, there are at least three benefits to talking less. And the first one is a big one. When we talk less, one of the benefits is we sin less. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, When words abound, transgression is inevitable. Don't elbow your spouse at this point. Um, the New King James says it like this, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So if you want to sin less, talk less. Uh, here's another benefit of talking less. When you talk less, guess what happens? When you do finally talk, more people will listen to you. That's a benefit. Um, I don't know if you recognize this. I don't know if you've seen it true in your own life, but the more you talk, the more people are going to tune you out. But on the flip side, the less you talk, the more people will listen. Uh, Jim Jackson was a man who used to be in our church, and I remember he was in our missional community, and there's some of the first servers who were in the missional community with us, and there were some uh, meetings where Jim Jackson wouldn't say an entire word, but then when he would speak up, it's like we all got on the edge of our seat, and we all tuned in, and everybody stopped because we knew if he was going to say something, Lou, you were there, you remember, we knew it was going to be important. Um, that's because whenever you talk less, when you do talk, people will listen more to you. It was said of the Quaker founder, George Fox, that fewness and fullness of his words often struck even strangers with admiration. That should be our goal as the disciples of Jesus. Our words be few and yet full. One other benefit is this before we move on. When we uh, talk less, we create space for other people's voices to be heard. For every loud mouth in the group, like Jared Pickney, there are two to three others who are shy and don't talk a whole lot. And sometimes that's because of their personality, but other times it's because there are people like me who are dominating the conversation and we don't even give anybody else a chance to make their voice heard. And one of the great things about talking less is that when we learn to listen and embrace silence, in the words of John Mark Comer, we draw others out of their shell and in doing so discover the beauty of another soul. 
I once heard a pastor say that his goal in a conversation was not to be interesting, but to be interested. And I love that because we can't all be interesting. I know I can't always be interesting, but we can all be interested. Guys, we can all, when we meet with our missional communities or when we're at work or even in our own home, take an interest in other people. Listen to them. Ask them questions. Try to draw them out. And so if you want to talk like Jesus, the first thing we need to know is we need to speak less. Or in the words of Jesus' brother, to become quick to listen and slow to speak. And just to be clear, by the way, before I move forward, I don't want to be misunderstood. Being slow to speak or talking less is not in and of itself a virtue. Some of you in the room are very quiet, and it's not because you're like Jesus. It's because you're insecure. It's because you have a fear of man. Um, It's because maybe you're aloof or you're cold or you're apathetic or you have resentment and you're using your silence to punish other people. And so I want to be very clear, talking in and of its, or talking less in and of itself is not a bad thing. Just like talking in and of itself is not a, or I'm sorry, talking less in and of itself is not a good thing. Just like talking in and of itself is not a bad thing. I want to make sure I was clear. I kind of got a little tongue tied on that. I talk for a living, by the way, if you guys couldn't tell. And so for some of you in here, just what I want to say is this. For you to become more like Jesus, you need to actually talk more. Like we need to hear your voice. You need to speak up. But for others who are like me, the likelihood is if you want to become like Jesus, you don't need to talk more or say more. You need to say less. Does that make sense? So that's the first point. Secondly, I want to say this. If you want to talk like Jesus, you need to tell the truth and not lie. And then tell the truth and not lie. Or in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or put another way, you need to be honest in your communication. You need to reject the temptation to exaggerate or to embellish or to put a spin on your words, the purpose of trying to look better than you actually are. And this is very hard in a culture like ours that is built on image management that is all about positioning and posturing and and filtering and Instagramming our lives so that we can impress the people around us. But let me just say this, guys. Some of you in the room are so incredibly lonely right now. And you're so exhausted. And it's because you're not telling the truth about your life. And whenever you try to embellish or exaggerate or make yourself look better than you really are, you actually, listen to me guys, you're working against reality because you're getting people to fall in love with your mask rather than who you really are. And if you're tired of living that way, if you want to grow in humility and peace and love out of a deep trust in God, your father, that he can care for you. You don't have to manage and manipulate others. Just begin to speak the truth. Third, I would say this. If you want to talk like Jesus, you need to talk fittingly. Here's what I mean by that. If you think back to the story in Mark 12 where Jesus says, bring the coin to me. And then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. Right, That is one example of many where Jesus always knew how to say the right word at the right time. Some of you feel like you always have the right word to say, but your delivery is awful. Like you're delivering it at the wrong time. 
Jesus always gave the right word at the right time because he had a heart that was full of the spirit because his ears were always open to God the Father at one place. Jesus literally said, I've never spoken a word that my father has not told me to say. How crazy is that? Not one word. Because of that, Jesus had the situational and emotional awareness that was incredible. He knew what to say and when to say it. He knew when to rebuke somebody. Remember Matthew 12, he says, you brood of vipers. He knew when to be direct, when somebody could handle that, when they needed to hear it as such. But he also knew when to comfort or to encourage or ask a question. He knew how to say the right word at the right time. And so if you want to talk like Jesus, you need to talk less. You need to tell the truth. You need to talk fittingly. And then finally, I would say this. You need to use your words to build people up and not tear them down. In Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what Paul says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, this is the only thing that should come out of your mouth. You ready? The only thing when you pour the cup over that should come out. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I love how neuroscience is finally catching up to the Bible when it comes to understanding the power that words have on us. And in one recent study, maybe you've seen this, uh, Ikea, I think we can put it on the screen for you. They did a study where they put these two plants in a classroom. And you can see, all right, they're both in these little glass containers. And there's a speaker in the glass container with the plants. And in the one on the left, it's receiving insults. All it is, just plain insults over and over and over. But in the plant on the right, it is just life-giving words, encouraging words. And you can watch this on YouTube. There's a lot of studies that's been done like this. Ikea just kind of made it famous. You can go on YouTube right now, watch the time-lapse version of this. But within a week, the plant receiving the insults begin to shrivel up and die. Whereas the plant on the right that was getting the compliments and encouragement begin to flourish. And guys, listen, the same is true when it comes to people. In that, the words that are spoken into our lives, for better or for worse, set the trajectory for who we do or do not become. They either build us up or they tear us down. They bring about life or they bring about death. And by the way, if I can just have a moment speaking to the parents in light of Robert's announcement about, you know, crossing parents, I'm just, this is on my mind this morning. Like, this is especially true of you and your relationship with your children especially in their early years. Like the words that you are speaking or not speaking into your kids, I'm telling you guys, it will stick with them. And again, for better or worse, set the trajectory for who they do or do not become. And so before we speak, whether it's to our kids or to our spouse or to someone else, here's a good question that we should just pause and ask ourselves before we talk. Will this thing that I'm about to say build this person up? And if the answer to that question is no, then just don't say it. Just don't say it. And trust that the Holy Spirit will still be able to do his work in their life and whatever it is that you're wanting the Spirit to do. And if you hear that and you're just like, huh, that's easy for you to say. This is very difficult to control our tongue, right? That's what the Bible says, at least. I mean, listen to what Jesus' brother says in James Chapter 1, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's not my favorite verse as a, as a teacher, by the way. 
We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, listen to this. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. I share that just to say this. On the one hand, if you're having a hard time controlling your tongue, don't beat yourself up this morning. Like this is an area, if we can be honest, we all need to show each other a whole lot of grace. This is an area where we need to learn how to be kind to others and kind to ourselves, especially when dealing with our kids, right? And so this is a battle for every person in the room, I'm guessing today, in some way, shape, or form. I know it's a battle for me. If I can just be fully transparent with you, like as someone who talks for a living, like I over talk on a regular basis. Just ask my wife or people in my missional community. I tend to cut people off in meetings. You can ask our staff. Uh, I tend to use shame to motivate people to get the job done because shame can often like get work done. Just ask my kids. Um, I'm often tempted to one-up people or to use a humble brag or to be passive-aggressive or sarcastic or to use some crude humor. And that is why whenever I'm doing an assessment of Jared Pickney's life, like if I can be honest, like most of the sins that I'm committing in this season of my life are sins that are being committed with my mouth. And so on the one hand, we do need to be very gracious with ourselves and with others when it comes to this practice today. But hear me clearly. On the other hand, we need to be very, very, very careful not to shrug this off today. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on the importance of watching your mouth? Okay. I see a few hands. This is not typically one of those sins that we're like, this is a very big deal. And if you can't get it under control, you're going to like have church discipline exercised on you or whatever else, right? We do that with pornography or cheating on your spouse or abuse of some kind or drug addiction or those are things that are like, oh, those are the big sins. But notice again, guys, this is not according to Jared, according to Jesus, you will one day give an account for every careless word that you have spoken. Every careless word. So this is a big deal to Jesus. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, this should be a very big deal to you. And so the question before we end this morning, we're almost done, is, is what are some things we can begin to do? What are some practices we can engage in as a way of just cooperating with the Holy Spirit and trying to retrain our hearts, minds, and mouths? And there are a lot of different practices I could have given you this week. This is not an exhaustive list. But here are two practices that I really want to encourage you to engage in this week and to work through with your missional community in a lot of the teaching today. 
And the first practice that I want you to engage in is what Jan Johnson refers to as situational silence. And the way she explains this, this practice is this. She says, basically, situational silence is an attempt to refrain from speaking in a moment that you would normally speak. Um, and so if you're tempted to get in that last word, or if you're tempted to cut someone off this week, or you're tempted to give your opinion, even when nobody asked for your opinion, just choose to be silent. Just try it. And just say, you know what, normally I would talk in this moment, but in a great act of humility and trust in God, rather than giving my opinion, unless I'm asked for it, I'm not going to tell people, here's my two cents worth. I'm not going to interrupt my spouse or interrupt this person because, oh, I have something so amazing to tell you. I know you want to hear it, right? I'm not going to try to get in the final word. I'm just going to choose to sit in silence. And by the way, that doesn't mean like, again, if people's talking to you, you're not just like, mm-mm, 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 like, mm-mm, not talking, right? Like, it doesn't mean that. Like, it just means, right? You're refraining from opportunities when normally maybe you would be quick to just jump in and speak. That's the first practice I want us to try to engage in this week, situational silence. And then secondly, I want to engage in the practice of just being interested. Remember, as I said earlier, we can't all be interesting, but we can all be interested And so this week, look for an opportunity rather than telling someone your amazing story. And listen, I get it, by the way, like small talk can be a good thing. Like, don't misunderstand me today. I don't want our church to become like some cold and calculated church. We're like all leaving here in just a moment, like nobody talked to anybody else, right? Like walking out, like talking can be a good thing, right? It's a way of opening others up. You can pull others out. And that's what being interested is about. We're not saying you can't talk. Just make the conversation about the other person. That's what we're saying. Stop telling so much about you. Like, just get to know the other person in the room. Assume that maybe you're not the most interesting person and that maybe they are. And so listen to them. Rather than telling them your awesome stories, try to pull up their awesome stories. And by the way, everybody has awesome stories. We started this thing called the Paragold Podcast. And people have been amazed by how many just incredible people live here in our community. People they even, like, I worked beside them and I didn't know that story. It's because well, you probably never asked them to tell their story. People come into the Paragold podcast, and it doesn't matter how long the session is, Bill can vouch for this, they always want it to go longer. And that is because most people are dying for someone just to ask them about their life and listen to them. Adam will tell you, what makes a good therapist? Listening. Asking questions. Right? Ask questions and just pull out their story. And basically just, here's what I'm hearing you say. Right? So this week, just be interested. And remember that as you engage in these practices, listen, that none of us are going to get this 100% right. None of us are going to get this 100% right. Maybe even some of you right now, like, like you're already beginning to get guilt. You're already beginning to feel shame over this and even getting a little defensive over this sermon because you're already starting to feel like some conviction there. Like, oh, I suck at this. I need to try to like find a way to be like, oh, this is a dumb message and not for me. Right? Like that's already beginning to happen in some of you in this moment. And that's because you probably already are feeling guilt and shame over like, man, I'm going to screw this up. I'm so bad at this. And listen, again, guys, like this is why we need to continually come back to Jesus. This is a sermon that is meant not to make you be like, Not to make you feel like I suck, but wow, Jesus really is so beautiful and he's so amazing. And I actually need him more than I even thought that I needed him. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he is the perfect God man. And one of his closest friends, Peter, 
Someone who knew him, maybe even better than anybody, says in 1 Peter 2.22 that Jesus committed no sin, neither was there deceit ever found in his mouth. One of his closest friends said that about him. Jesus Christ, guys, is the only perfect person who ever lived, who never misspoke, not even once. And then he went to a cross, and there he died for the forgiveness of your sins. In fact, whenever he did speak, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And so today, the goal is not to leave here in shame, it's not to leave here in guilt, it's to look to Jesus and to remember that when we trust in him, the Bible says we receive his righteousness, we receive his perfect record, including his deeds and his words, and then, not only do we receive that, but we receive a new heart. And that's ultimately what we need if we're going to do this. Again, Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For some of you, if you can do an honest assessment of your life right now and you think about the words that you speak, it might be very true of you that you need a new heart. And the words of the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you need your heart of stone to become a heart of flesh. And only Jesus Christ through his spirit can do that for you. You don't need to leave. The last thing you need to do, guys, listen, and we're done. The last thing you need to do with a message like this is, all right, I'm going to try harder to be better. I'm going to go home and no matter what happens with my wife or my kids or tomorrow, like I'm just going to bite my tongue and not say anything. All right, Pastor, just be quiet. Like that's the last thing you need to do. Like, like what all of us need to do is to open up our hearts to Jesus and say, Jesus, where are there areas where you want to bring life instead of death? Where you want to bring healing instead of harm? And then from that place, man, life and healing will flow out of us. And so if you're here today, listen, in just a moment, we're going to take communion. If you are a Christian, you can take communion with us. The bread represents the perfect life of Jesus, his deeds and his words. He lived the perfect life. He spoke the perfect life. He is the word, right, who became flesh. And we remember that as we take the bread. And then whenever we take the juice, we remember that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of all of our sins, including those words that we have spoken that are not aligned with his own heart. And so we don't have to leave here in shame today. We can leave here feeling forgiven. We can leave here feeling excited after a message like this. So I praise God that even though I've sucked it up in all these areas and how I've spoke, like that stuff doesn't define me anymore. Jesus does. And he's bigger. His grace is bigger than my sin. And so even if I spoke death into my kids or I've spoke death into my missional community members or my spouse, like God's grace is still able to cover all that. So we celebrate this last song that we're about to sing. We don't leave here with our tail tucked between our legs. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, then actually you do sit here condemned. And one day you're going to stand before God and and no matter how good you think you've been, you're going to have to give an account for every careless word that you have spoken and every sin that you have committed. And guys, that's why we need Jesus' perfect life so bad on our behalf. And so what we would ask of you today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, rather than receiving communion, receive Christ. Give your life to him. Receive his life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. And if you want more information about that, I'll be right up here in the front. I'd love to connect with you. Um, you can talk with someone you came with. That'd be fine as well. But we're going to enter into a time of communion. And what I want to encourage you to do in a message like this, like we do every single week, is, is don't just rush out of here. Don't just rush into communion. Take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what's a word you want to speak into my heart this morning? How do you want this communion to be good news to me today? 
And then take it, and then when you're ready, you can stand and you can sing in the final song that our band will lead us in. And so with that, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll enter into communion. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word that has become flesh, that you have dwelt among us, and you have lived a perfect sinless life that we could not live, and that you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins, including those really just hellish words, hurtful words that we've spoken to others. God, I pray that the Crossing Church would be known as a church that brings life through our words, that we build one another up, that when people leave our missional communities or our DNAs or even our Sunday gathering, that not even because of a sermon, but just because of an interaction with someone else in the hallway, they can leave and feel edified and just full of life and loved and cared for. Jesus, that's what we would feel from you if you were here in the room. The only people that we see you are harsh with, we know, Jesus, are those who have pride in their hearts, who refuse to admit their need. And so I just pray that, God, that we would be a humble people, that we would have soft hearts, that we would trust that you are gentle, that you are lowly, that you are tender in your care, and that we would feel that. And as a result, we would seek to love others the way you have loved us. And if there's anybody here today who has never received you, Jesus, I pray today that that would be different, that the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes and see you as they really are, or as you really are. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.